Amen. What a wonderful day to be together. Really appreciate it. Um, Michael Coleman leading our thoughts around the Lord's Supper. Michael and Susie are two of our newest members. Uh, they drive from Fort Deposit to be here with us. They, um, Michael also heads up one of the great ministries here in Montgomery, Hope Inspired Ministry. And um, hope, hope I'm okay here. Hope Inspired Ministry is just a really wonderful ministry here in Montgomery. And hopefully you'll hear more about that. Before I get started this morning, though, I've got to recognize uh, that Denny Bramlett, our brother, is here with us today. Uh, very sick. Let me see if I can get my mic on better. It may be me. It's not, there you go, Jeremy, I think we're okay. I just need to screw it in a little bit better in the back. Thank you, Jeremy, for clapping for that, yes. <laughs> All right. You know, often we say something like this, I, I'm flying, if you're flying out of Montgomery, where, where must you fly through? You must fly through what? Atlanta, okay. When we go to heaven, we're going through where? Atlanta, all right. So, so, so you, you're going through Atlanta, you know, and you've got a layover for a couple hours. So you say to yourself, you know, in the meantime, during this layover, I'm going to check my email box. I'm going to clear that out. I'm going to respond to a few emails. Maybe you're going to movies. Movies not till 7.30. You say to your wife, well, we're going to the movie at 7.30. But in the meantime, let's go out to eat. Or maybe your children are not behaving exactly the way you want them to. And so uh, you say to your child, you say, in a few years, you're going to graduate. You're going to be out of this home, and you can do whatever you want to. But in the what? Meantime, you're going to do what I say. And have you ever said that to your kids? Any of you kids ever heard that? All right, good deal. All right. In the meantime, that's what we're going to do. And what I want you to see this morning is, is as we celebrate Christmas, we are living in the meantime. Christmas is a celebration of the, the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. And so the question is, what happens in the meantime? Last week, we looked at what God does. Go into the next slide, if you would. We, we looked at what God does in the meantime. Well, what does God do? His Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Uh, his Holy Spirit actually intercedes in our prayers. We also saw that in the meantime, God is taking all of our circumstances and he's using them to do something really good. And in the meantime, God is also conforming us to the image of his son. And in the meantime, we know rest assuredly that God absolutely loves us. That's a lot of good thing that God does for us. Now today, we're going to look at what we do for God? What do we do in the meantime? And the way we're going to discover this this morning is to go back to the Christmas story and put ourselves in the place of all of those people that were waiting on the first coming because they're in the same position we are in waiting in the second coming. What were they doing and what could we learn from that? So let's start off in Luke chapter 1 and uh, let's start in verse 26. In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, this is interesting. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting that might be. Now, why is she troubled? 
Guys, if you read the Old Testament, when an angel shows up on your doorstep, it is not a good sign. You're not too thrilled about that, so she's wondering, what in the world have I done? But, verse 30, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And then she, she questions this thing. How can this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin, this, this appears to be absolutely impossible. Then the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. For no word from God will ever fail. And listen to Mary's response. I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. Now, here's what Mary's doing while she's waiting. She is obeying God. Mary obeyed. Now, think about the position she was in. She's a virgin. She's heard something that's never happened in the history of the world that God is going to come and that she is going to become pregnant with the child of God. I think how crazy that is. I mean, you notice the the, the sort of pause between the angel's promise and her response. I love how the older versions say, she says back to the angel, may it be as you have said. I agree. Let's let this happen. Notice that Mary actually had a choice. God never forces his will on you. And Mary, God did not force his will on Mary. I don't think this is probably the first time Mary has been obedient. Why does God choose her of all the women living in Israel to bear the Son of God? Because she has an obedient spirit. And my friends, what we must discover is we must learn to pray that prayer. Lord, I, I see what you've said. May it be as you have said. I say amen. Let's go for it. You might word that in, in Jesus' prayer in the garden. Thy will be done. You see, guys, the most popular prayer in America today is this. My will be done. God, would you do this? Would you take care of this? Would you change this circumstance? Would you bless this? No, no, no. That's not the prayer of Scripture. The prayer of Scripture is, Lord, you said it. It might not even make any sense to me, but I am going to be obedient. You see, if we're going to stay in the graces of God between now and the second coming, we must be a group of people that go, you know what, God? I'm just going to do what you say. It doesn't always have to make sense to me. I don't have to do this. I'm not forced to do it. The truth is, I love to do it. Well, why would I love to do it? Because of what Jesus did in the first coming. My goodness, we get to build off that God became a baby, lived among us, and died for us. If ever I know I can trust God, I can trust God. And so when God tells me something right here that I don't even like or doesn't quite make sense to me, I learned to submit and say, Lord, this sounds crazy to me. But you know what? You know better than I do. And you love me more than anybody else. May it be as you have said. So Mary was obedient. Now let's go to the next part of our story. The first thing Mary does is she runs to her cousin Elizabeth. Look at verse 39, Luke chapter 1. At this time, Mary got ready and hurried to town in the hill country of Judea. When she entered Zachariah's home... And greeted Elizabeth. This is so cool. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, you see, Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. The baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. What's Elizabeth doing? Elizabeth is encouraging. You see, as soon as Mary hears this crazy word that she knows is going to make her have a terrible reputation, she runs to the person that she knows she's safe with. She runs to the person who she knew she could go to, her cousin Elizabeth. See, Zechariah was a priest. They were both devout, righteous people, according to Scripture. She knew that something this crazy and of God that probably Elizabeth could believe it. Elizabeth would not join her. Elizabeth would not be jealous of her. Because as soon as she sees Elizabeth, guess what happens? John the Baptist jumps in her stomach. Isn't this cool? It's the first time that John the Baptist does his lifetime work, which is what? Pointing to Jesus. And so we must learn to be people who encourage Can I ask you this morning, if you are having something crazy going on that you needed someone to come alongside you and say, it's okay, it's from God, who would you run to in your life? Maybe even better question this morning for you and I is, who would run to us? You see, guys, we we live in difficult times between the first and second coming of Jesus. Everything's not right. The world's a fallen place. We groan. Sometimes things don't go our way. Sometimes obedience to God doesn't even make sense to us. And you know what we need a whole lot of in this in-between time? We need a lot of encouragement. In fact, Hebrews 3.13 says that we ought to encourage one another, guess what, daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you are deceived by sin. What's God's great prescription for sin in our life? The great prescription is that we build a church where everybody is so encouraged out of their mind that they want to obey God. You see, listen, the word encouraged simply means to put courage in someone. Mary's got to have courage to bear this baby out of wedlock. She goes to the person she knows can give her that kind of courage. And guys, that's what all of us need right now. Can I ask you this? Well, then why are we so chintzy with our encouragement? Why don't we just say it to people? Why don't we find that quality in them that we admire and and put it out there? Because what you and I need is daily encouragement to live in the meantime. And then let's go to to Joseph. Go back to Matthew with me for this. Because I, I think Joseph may be in the most precarious position in the birth story. Can you imagine you're engaged to this girl named Mary... And she's about to have this, she's going to have this baby. She has told you this story that seems concocted, that she is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. What are you going to do? Look what happens. Verse 18, Matthew 1. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they could come together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. If you're Joseph, you believe that? Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. You say, well, that's confusing. They're just engaged. My friends, in in this day, to break off an engagement, you had to go through a divorce. It was that serious. So Joseph's a really good guy, but he certainly doesn't believe this story. And so what he says is, Mary, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm not going to publicly embarrass you. I'm not going to bring you in public where where you could even be stoned. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to quietly do this and get out of the way. Well, then an angel appears to him, verse 22. 
No, no, look, verse 20. But after this, he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived from her is from the Holy Spirit. She wasn't telling you a lie. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from his sins. And look at this key verse, verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. What's Joseph doing in the meantime? Joseph is repenting. Now, that's sort of an old-fashioned word. And, and actually, over the last few weeks, I've tried to find a different word because we don't use the word repent in, in normal language. So for a while, I landed on the word change because Joseph is changing. But none of our words actually matches what's going on here. What is repentance? Re- repentance, this is your best definition. Repentance is a change of mind, okay? And that's what happens with Joseph. Joseph changes his mind. Before this, he thinks this is crazy. After the angel appears, he changes his mind. He believes God. Repentance is a change of mind resulting in a change of life. And that's what happens with Joseph. His mind is radically changed, and he's willing to go through with the will of God. Listen, my friend, between now and the second coming of Jesus, we got a whole lot of repenting to do, right? Listen to me. Repentance is not a one-time deal that you do before your baptism. Repentance is a lifestyle that when my will and my actions and my thoughts don't line up with God's, even when God comes to me and tells me something that's different than what I wanted to do, I change my mind and I change my actions. And so what we need to be doing in the meantime is we need to keep on repenting. But You know, what holds us back from repenting? We don't even like to say to people today, you need to repent. I don't want you to say to me, you need to repent, buddy, because what that implies is that I'm in the wrong, I'm going in the wrong direction. I've got to let my pride down to go, you know what? I am messing this up completely. I need to change. Us men, we especially don't like to. Let's say you're driving the car, you know, and you're going somewhere for the holidays, and, and you don't like it when your wife tries to give you directions, and so she lets you go. And you, 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 you pass by two or three interstate exits, you should have turned long way back there. And finally, about three exits later, she says, honey, you know you missed our exit back there. And you don't like it, so, so you say to her, well, uh, you know what, I know we're going a little bit out of the way, but there was this historical marker up here I really wanted to see. I mean, we don't like to admit it, but guys, if, if we're going to be molded by God in between the first and second coming of Jesus, we're going to constantly be in a state of repentance. And then let's look at another character here. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. This is a cool part of the story. I love these two. Let's look at this guy named Simeon. He's this old man in the temple. Luke chapter 2. Let's start reading in verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, I struggle with that word consolation because I think of the consolation prize. I promise you Jesus was not the consolation prize. What it means is console. The, the, The Messiah coming will console Israel in its sorrow. So he's waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die 
before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went in the temple courts. When the parents, that's Mary and Joseph, brought the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. I love this. What's Simeon doing? Simeon is waiting. I mean, he's got this promise that he will see Jesus before he dies. He's got a bucket list. He's got one thing on his bucket list. Before I croak, Lord, I want to see the Messiah. And he's waiting, and he's waiting, and he's waiting, and Joseph and Mary show up, and he knows this is the Messiah. Now, because sometimes we think about the word waiting, it's sort of a, it's like a neutral term. It's like, I'll, I'll just wait. I mean, it's like, it's like I passively wait. In Scripture, the word wait is much better than that. The word wait means eager anticipation. In other words, this is what Simeon's doing. He's on his tiptoes with his neck crane, looking at the door of the temple, waiting for the Messiah to come in. He believes he's got an eager expectation that it's going to happen. And my friends, as we're in this waiting period, we need to learn to anticipate the second coming of Jesus. We've got evidence that God is powerful and that God can interrupt history. He's done it once. He's going to do it again. You see, in the first century, listen, this is so crazy. They so much believed that Jesus was coming back any day that the Apostle Paul has to write a whole letter telling a bunch of people who've quit their job, why would you work if you thought Jesus was coming back tomorrow? A bunch of folks who quit their job that they need to get back to work, that we really don't know when he's coming. Um, They lived in that eager anticipation. If if you went to church 100 years ago, you would have heard a lot more songs about heaven and the second coming of Jesus because we weren't quite living in the luxury we are today, and we knew we had to have that. So today, are you waiting? I mean, are you eagerly anticipating the day that Jesus comes back? And then one more character here. We keep reading that same chapter, verse 36. There was a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Peniel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at the very moment where Simeon's greeting them, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. What is Anna doing in between while she waits? Anna is worshiping. And this woman, she is so fired up about the Messiah coming. She's married for seven years. Let's say she got married when she was 17, which is probably a little bit late in this day. She got married at 17. Her husband passed away at 24. Well, what does that mean? She has been waiting in the temple. And I'm not thinking she stayed there every moment. But she's been waiting in the temple for 60 years for the Messiah to come. How did she not give up? See, one of the hardest things for you and I to do is to wait for God to do what he says he's going to do. Why does she not give up? I would say to you this morning, she didn't give up because she gave herself to worship. 
Because what happens in worship? Worship is where I declare who God is, and I declare what he has done. Guys, that's what's so important about us gathering today to worship because we forget in this crazy world we live in how good God is. We forget the promises of God. We forget about the character of God. We forget to remember what he did back in the birth that affects us right now while we wake on him coming back. And so we need to worship together. We need to worship personally because that's going to help us in the meantime. If you don't have a good worship life, you're going to stop forgetting who God is and what he can do in your life. And it's going to get really hard. So this morning, I want us to take a break in service. Praise team, come on back up here. And I want us just to stop and worship. And in this worship block, we're going to be singing songs about who God is. He is the everlasting God. And I want you to declare those things in your life today. So that if you know who God is, in the meantime, you can serve him. Let's all stand together and praise him. Amen. Please be seated. That kind of worship will change us. And that kind of worship, we can, we can live fully, abundantly between the first and second coming of Jesus. We're going we're gonna to have a very special way to close our service out in just a few moments. And uh, you're going to have a chance to be prayed over. Before we go there, I want to share with you something I've learned this year, I think that applies so much to our message. This probably helped me spiritually as much as anything. It's the concept of a kairos moment. You see, in the Greek language, they have different words for time. Oh, one word for time is chronos, chronology, sequential time, okay? I mean, it's what you're looking for when you look on your watch. You didn't even know I had a watch, right? But it's, it's one of those, th- those kind of words. But the other word is this word kairos, which is a moment of breakthrough. It's an opportunity for God to shape you. And I think as we've looked at these characters this morning, they each had a kairos moment. And yet, if you'll put yourself back in their place, they could have easily, just like us, have flown through those moments and not learned what God wanted them to learn. I think of another character we could have talked about who actually did that, and that's, that's the innkeeper. I mean, the, the innkeeper, I mean, he had that opportunity to encounter the Christ, but he didn't. I love what Billy Graham said about this years ago. The innkeeper was not hostile. He was not opposed to them. But his end was crowded. His hands were full. His mind was preoccupied. This is the answer that millions of people are giving today. Hearts already taken, time already full. Our response to Jesus this Christmas is not atheism. It's not defiance. It's just preoccupation. I'm too busy to notice. I'm too busy to have a Kairos moment. That's most Americans. 93% of Americans believe in Jesus as the Son of God. 73% believe he was born of a virgin. Only 25% of Americans have had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And think about our characters. Mary could have said, I know I heard an angel, but this is crazy. Uh, you know, Elizabeth could have said, I know the baby jumped, but babies jump. I mean, that's not a sign from God. Joseph could have said, there's no way I'm joining in this embarrassment of my pregnant fiance. Simeon and Anna could have said, it's just taken too long. I mean, 70 years ago, I was pretty full of hope, but now it's just taken way too long. And they could have blown right past this. I want to teach you a moment. It's on your outline, and I hope you'll take it home and and use this, about how to make sure you have a Kairos moment. 
And you'll see this circle here, and you see sequential time going across the top, but where that hourglass is, is what we call a kairos moment. It's where God speaks to you. It could be he speaks to you through a message like today. He speaks to you through his word. He speaks to you through an angel or through a vision or through a circumstance or a trial. But he, he speaks to you. And the first half of the circle is what he's saying to you, and you want to stop and listen. The second half of the circle is what are you going to do about it. Now, the problem is, again, I fly through my life so fast that I miss these Kairos moments. So what we're trying to do is trying to stop and learn to listen to God and then respond to God. That first half, you observe what's happened. You know, I think of something that's been a Kairos moment for me over the last couple of years is, is the death of my mom. It's just, it's just something that I've had a hard time getting my head wrapped around. I think about it a lot. It's taken a lot for God to help me to reflect on that. I've discussed it with people. And, 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 and finally, I've learned to put it in the right perspective. And then on the other end, after you've had that moment, you, you begin to plan. And, and you, you're with some people you discuss this with, and you say, you know what? I want to learn what God said to me. I want to share this with you, and I want you to ask me about it because I want to act on this. So you've got what's God saying and what's God want me to do. You stop, and you pause, and you listen. Now, here's my question for today. Could today be a Kairos moment for you and me? I mean, this message, we have put the characters in the birth story in our place. Just where we were. They were waiting on the first coming, anticipating Jesus coming. We're waiting on the second coming, knowing everything's going to be so much better then. Now, let's look again and remind ourselves of a list of what they did. We see that Mary was obeying. In just a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to respond and to be prayed for about obeying. Every one of you are going to go to one of these groups, so so be paying close attention. Mary was obeying. Maybe in your life there's some things that God has told you to do that are black and white in Scripture, and the truth is you're just not obeying Him. And you need prayers about being more obedient. Or maybe what you need to do is repent of being so selfish that you're not a great encourager. Maybe that just doesn't come natural to you, but you recognize in this in-between time we all need a lot of encouraging. And you want to become an encourager. Or maybe there's just some things you need to change your mind about. There's some attitudes that you possess that are simply not godly. And you need to change your mind and change your actions. There are probably others of you here that you're just simply in that waiting period. And we need to pray that this is not passive, but this is an eager expectation. You're waiting for your life to come together. You're waiting for your family to come together. You're waiting for your health to get better. You're just waiting. That's a hard place to be. And this morning, like Simeon, you need to acknowledge that and pray about it. Or maybe the lesson you want to carry with you today is, I just need to worship. You know, no matter what's happening, good, bad, whether my life is a success or looking like a failure, What makes everything okay is I acknowledge who God is and what God has done. And so I believe what he will do one day in coming back. So here's what we're going to do. This can take some effort, but I know you can do it. Let me me show a little map on the board. That, That is the picture of our worship center, the little smiley faces where I'm standing right now, okay? And in every corner, I'm going to place some people. If you guys will go ahead and go to your corner who's going to be praying. And um, we're going to ask, over here is uh, Wes Coring, and he's going to be praying. If you think I need some prayers about changing my mind and repenting. 
over in this corner about obedience, you're going to have Nathan Caps. If, if that's the place that you need to be. Back in the right corner, Andy's going to be there praying for those of you who find yourself in that waiting place. Back in this corner, Al Milligan's going to pray for those of us who need to grow in encouragement. I don't know anybody a greater encourager than Al. All right? And then up front, our worship leader, Jeremy's going to be here, and you can circle this stage. And Jeremy's going to pray about if you need a better heart of worship, because that will change everything. So I know we got a big crowd. First service, this was beautiful, and we got we got a little more people in here today. So it's gonna be some, you know, it's gonna be some getting around. But here's what I want to ask you to do: we're gonna play some light music in the background. While that music is being played, I want you to to go to where you need to go. Now I know a lot of us go, "Great day, buddy! I need to go to every one of them." Well, today you can't do that. But where do you need to go the most? Because here's what many of us are going to do. If we're not careful, guys, we are going to be like the innkeeper. We are so preoccupied with buying Christmas gifts and cooking food and entertaining and going to a thousand parties that, that we're going to miss out on the birth of Jesus and how life-changing it could be. So today, before you walk out of here, and I promise you guys, you're going to get out in time today, all right? All you're going to need to do is go to this place, surround it. You don't need to say a word. In fact, I want, you to be, I want you to be silent. This is not the time to greet each other. You don't have to stay together as husband and wife. Just go to, go to one of these places. As the music plays, when you get in place, the brothers in these corners are going to pray over you. And when the music fades, they will finish their prayer. And I will send you out by reading a wonderful scripture over you. So this is the time to go, you know what? I need a Kairos moment. I need a breakthrough moment about one of these issues. And so as the music plays, just silently right now, get up, stay standing when you get there. I don't want you to sit in the pew because that's going to be awkward. Stay standing. If these guys can't see you, they're going to get up on top of their chair so they'll, they'll be visible. But um, move right now to your prayer places. Uh, and uh, this is going to be a beautiful time getting prayed over together. Let's all move right now.